Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. been in a series or something that we felt like has been a theme for this month, and it's the just the simple statement that comes from the old Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and it's Prepare Him Room. And that has just been a theme that has just been reoccurring. And I think when you think about that line, prepare him room in our life, there's a principle in the Bible that wherever we make him room, he fills it. As I said earlier, wherever we intentionally stop and say, Lord, I make you room in my life, is he fills it. And you know, when Jesus came, we clearly see, by and large, the people that prepared him room are the ones that had a significant impact within their life. Is he touched them, he healed them, he ministered to their needs, but what they did is they made him room. And I think in our lives sometimes, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus and reflect on all that it represents, what's really important is that, that when we stop, we don't get off of the bus. And sometimes around Christmas time, you have people that it's like, it's Christmas, we go to church, that's absolutely awesome. Online as well, that's awesome. But what's really, really important is that we don't get off of the bus at the birth of Jesus, but we stop and we allow the full meaning of what his life represents and what he came for, whether it be all of the Old Testament prophecies that spoke about him and that talked about what he would bring when he came, whether it be his birth, his life, his teachings, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his life. You know, you stop and you think is what Christmas is about is, yes, we recognize the birth of Christ, but we equally identify with everything that it came to bring into my here and my now and my life where I'm at. You know, in the Gospel of Matthew, it gives an account of Joseph after he finds out that Mary is pregnant. Now, I want you to just think about this for a moment. You know, in biblical times, engagement was very different in the New Testament than it is today. The way that it worked is that when you were engaged to be married as a man, you would go, and, and, and many times the parents were involved, but you would go and you would, it, you would be engaged or espoused to be married, and and literally, it was as good as is married. But what happened is, is the man would come and let's just say I came and found Jill and said, I want to marry Jill. What my normal response would be after we were engaged is I would leave, build a house, make arrangements so that after the marriage, we had a place to go. And sometimes that could take as long as a year. If you ever read the uh, parable of the 10 virgins, you can clearly see the, the kind of the layout of the way that it went. And so back then, that's the way that it was. And so they would come, they would be espoused to be married. And I think one translation even says that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he was going to 
divorce her quietly. In other words, it's that serious. That's how far the relationship had gone. And in their day, in, in the New Testament, marriages would last three to seven days long. That's how long they would last. That's why when you read the story of Jesus turning the water into wine and they ran out of wine, it's because it was going on for days. And, that, and so what would happen is, is Joseph has asked Mary to marry him. She has agreed. He is left to establish himself to build a house. He comes back and he finds out that she's pregnant. Now, how many of you know that is a big deal? That is, that is a game changer. But what I love is the character of Joseph because the, in, when we, we're going to look in Matthew 1, verse 18, but what, there is a profound statement in Matthew about the, the relevance of what God was getting ready to do. The majority of what we're going to read is historical fact, but there is a statement at the end that continues to live and it lives today. And I want to read in Matthew 1, verse 18 through verse 21. And this is the amplified translation. It says, now the birth of Jesus took place under these circumstances. When his mother Mary had been promised in marriage to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And her promised husband, Joseph, being a just and upright man and not willing to expose her publicly and to shame and disgrace her, decided to repudiate and dismiss, divorce her quietly and secretly. But as he was thinking this over, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of and from and out of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua, which means Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. Now look at the Amplified gives us, when you use the term today, Jesus came to save us from our sins, it kind of just rolls off like, oh yeah, okay, I'm forgiven. But look at what it says, and the Amplified breaks it down in the Greek and tells us, this is what it means. That is to prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. Jesus came. He came and gave his life so that we, it would prevent us from missing the true end and scope. End is when I die. Scope is how I live. My perspective of where I'm at, of life, which is a relationship with God. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came for that very reason. The first 90% of what this ain't what was going on is historical fact. But the last 10% of what this angel said is still speaking today. 
It is still speaking to our life. It is pertinent, applicable truth that if we don't realize that the purpose for Jesus was to deal with, pay for, and cover our sin so that we could come into a relationship with God and miss and not miss the true scope and meaning of life, which is a relationship with God. Jesus came, y'all. That's my Texas thing. Jesus came so we could have a relationship with God. You know, in our natural world, if we don't watch it, it tries to convince us that everything we're seeing right now, everything you see is permanent. Everything you see, everything that you're looking at, and to convince us that all that we see is all that there is. It's all what you, you know what I've noticed is this, is the older I get and the older my friends get, what I realize is what I see is changing. How many of you know what I'm saying? They used to have more hair, now they have less hair. They used to have hair on the top of their head, now it's coming out their ears. How many of you know what I'm saying? It's in, but in the world that we live in, it tries to convince us that what we see is real and what we don't see is not real. But what Jesus came to do is to say to us, there is more to life than just living this natural world. There is more to life than just making it through another day. There is more to life than making another buck. There is more to life than having one more child. There's nothing wrong with that. There is more to life than getting a promotion in my job. There is more to life than reaching this next natural goal. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but Jesus came to reveal to us that the scope and the meaning and the purpose of life is a relationship with God. That's what he came. You know, I, um, I love the continent of Africa. I just love it. I, I've been there a lot of times, and um, mostly the lower half because they get a little wild in the northern half. Um, but I love to go there, and we do pastor's conferences and train them, and, and then we, do, um, we go into the public schools and preach the gospel in public schools. All you have to do is bring them a soccer ball, and you bring a soccer ball and you think you gave them a school bus. They're just like, they will shut the school down. They will run every kid outside and put them in line. And you can preach the gospel to them. And they're just like, and it's just, I just love going there though. And you know, one country that I've been to more than any other country is the country of Uganda. I have several friends that are there. But on my first trip to Uganda, it was 15-ish years ago, and I'd never been to an African country. I'd been invited, and finally I went, and I know a pastor there. His name is Robert, and then several other that we have supported. And Pastor Robert has a church um, that in everything there is gated. You have to put gates around everything or the people will steal. And so they, everything's gated. And Pastor Robert, um, when AIDS first broke out, People would just be bringing children and he would go to the gate of his church and open it up and there would be a baby there and the parents basically would just drop off a baby and some of them were Muslim, some of them were nothing, some of them were Christian, but they were just looking for somebody to take care of their child because they knew that they were dying. And so Robert then started taking in these kids and he had like somewhere between 70 and 80 children and he'd build these kind of makeshift houses with bunk 
bunk beds and there'd be a guy's house and a girl's house and in each one there'd be anywhere from 35, 40, 45 kids and they would just be racks of, of bunk beds and at the end of the bunk bed they would have a bag and it would hang from the end. It was like a pillowcase and all of their personal belongings would be in that. And it, when you say personal belongings, it was like a toothbrush and soap and those types of things. And so what we decided to, what we did as a church is that we decided that what we were going to do is a great need they have is shoes. And so we thought we're going to bring them shoes. And so I, we sent, I sent Robert an email and said, get me all their sizes. And they sent all the sizes. And some of you might've remembered it. And so we went and bought shoes for every kid that was in his, they don't like to call it an orphanage because that's a derogatory term, but that was at his church. And so we brought it, we brought and had all the kids lined up and had all their sizes and everything and gave all these kids shoes. And, um, and while we were there, I realized something as I'm looking around is I thought, you know, I wonder if these kids have ever had any kind of treat. How many of you know Christmas, one of the blessings of Christmas is treats. Come on, only three of us shoot straight. And so, and so, I, and so I said to Robert, I said, can we go into town? And what I want to do is I want to buy these um, can, is there a place that sells ice cream cups, the little ice cream cups, and I want to bring them back and give every kid an ice cream cup. And he, Robert was like, oh, oh. He said, they have never had ice cream. And he was going off and off and off. And so we drove for a while and we got into town and I ended up buying all of these little ice cream cups and I brought them back. And Robert calls all the kids out and said, we have a special treat. And he lines all these kids up and we start passing out these ice cream cups. They had never seen ice. They had never seen refrigeration and it was like 80 or 85 degrees out. So they took the ice cream cup and they were looking at the ice forming on the outside due to the humidity and they were licking the outside of the cup and they were so excited that this thing and they thought that it was all about the outside of the cup and so they're all there and I'm standing there looking at them and they're laughing and they're licking the outside of the cup and they're not taking the lid off and I'm like what is going on and Robert looks at me and he says they do not know what to do <laughs> and I said so I stood there and I said, I got everybody's attention and I opened up a cup and I took a little spoon and took a bite and they all looked at me and the light went on and they opened it up and they took a bite and they began to, you thought they were happy before. I want to tell you something. We, the world tries to convince us that all the good stuff is on the outside and God says, no, it's on the inside. We, we get all, oh my gosh, look at this outside thing. Look at this natural thing. Look at this superficial thing. God says, you know what? That is good, but it's not near as good as what I've got for your life. It's not near as good as what I have planned for your life. Because we live in a physical world that attempts to convince us to base and to live our lives on outside things only. There's nothing wrong with outside. But it's really important that we remember that everything we see on the outside is temporary. It's temporary. It isn't going to last. 
it's not going to last. And you know, what we can't see with our natural eyes is what is lasting and significant and eternal and will never pass away. It will never pass away. You know, when I think of Jesus, whether it's his birth, his life, all the different people that he touched, all the walks of life, the social economic classes and racial differences and, and, and all of the different groups that he revealed himself and that everybody that he touched, one thing that just screams at me is before God, there is a level playing field and he doesn't grade anybody as better than anybody else. Everybody is the same. Everybody's the same. But what I noticed is is that every single one, you look at them and they had to make room because he never forced his way in. He never kicked the door down, but he waited for them to make room for them in his life. And they would call out to him. They would cry out to him. They would, and he would meet them where they were at and he would reveal himself to them. And what I want to do is I want to briefly look at four different people that had an encounter with Jesus. They had differing lives, differing situations, and what they thought was maybe their greatest need in life. But Jesus, what Jesus did is he brought them all to the same conclusion is your greatest need is a relationship with God. He met the natural need, but the greatest need. You know, the four people, I'm just going to say them, and then we're going to delve into them very quickly. But the rich man, or another, uh, uh, two of the Gospels call him a rich young ruler, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, and Simeon. And what we're going to see is each one of them speaks to our life. You know, the rich man, in our world, we're told that, that money can make you happy and that realize that it, it, can, it will either buy you happiness or produce happiness and your life is based on it. You'll live fulfilled if you have it. Well, I want to look at this, this guy that the uh, Mark's translation just calls him a rich man um, in Matthew 9, 19, 16 and in Luke 18, 18, they call him a rich young ruler, but it's the same guy. And I want to start reading in verse 17. It's at Mark 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commands. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. What I want you to notice is not only was this guy wealthy, but he was religious. 
If you want to drill down in the Old Testament, what you find out is that God gave a promise. And he said that if you'll walk in my ways, when he gave the Ten Commandments, he said, I'll bless you. I'll pour out. And so this guy has walked in the light of the Ten Commandments and God has blessed him. But what he's come to the conclusion of is this, rules and regulations don't make you fulfilled by how good you are. It's your awareness of how good he is that causes a relationship that brings life to us. Today, there's a huge difference. And so this guy, if you look at him, now look at what it says in verse 21. Looking at the man, look at this statement, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, this, this is the only time we see Jesus doing this, and I want to just make the statement, why would Jesus say this? This guy came to Jesus, and he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life, or the life of God living inside of me? What Jesus did is he put his finger on the thing that had replaced God in his life. And what Jesus said is, you've got to make a shift from the natural, from things. You've got to make a shift that you're not going to get life drinking from that cup, and you've got to be willing to let go of that cup in order to receive the cup that I have. Jesus was saying to him, you must go all in. Yes, you've got the rules down. Yes, you've got the regulations down, but God wants your heart to go all in. It's not what you do. It's not how good you are. It's how good he is and what he's done and that God wants us to go all in with him in our life. It wasn't a money issue. It was a heart issue issue for him is that his heart trusted in those things. The guy in essence said, I've got what this world said would make me happy and I'm not happy. And that's the reason I'm here prostrating myself before you is what do I need to do to get eternal life? If natural alone could do it, this guy would have never said, what do I need to do to get the life of God? But he was self-aware enough to say, I've got that, it didn't do it. I've got that, it didn't do it. I've got that, it didn't do it. You know what? I'm going to run to that one that's got it. He prostrates himself and he basically says, everything I've done, everything I've got has not produced eternal life in me. What do I need to do to get that life? What do I need to do? And Jesus put his finger on it. So preparing him room is going all in. It's going all in. You say, right now in my life, you know, I got, I, I've got this area. Just go all in with him. Just go all in. The next is the woman at the well. They call her the Samaritan woman, and she's, it's in John 4. This woman was from a, a tiny town called Sychar, which was in Samaria. And she was going to a community well, and Jesus was there. And what I love about this story is that she had tried for her whole life through everything everybody said to bring fulfillment to her life. 
She had tried her whole life to fill herself with what everybody else said. Oh, this will do it. This will give you significance. And in her case, it was marry the right guy. Now, let me just give you uh, ladies a clue. Every guy is broke and needs rewiring. It's a fact. We all need rewiring. How many of you know what I'm saying? And you get rewiring when you get married. You get rewired because it's like, okay, I'm going to, you know, how many of you know what I'm saying? How many of you guys will openly admit you're in a rewiring process? You know what I'm saying? I'm getting rewired. I'm getting, I'm getting rewired. But in her case, she believed that if she married the right guy, she would have fulfillment. She had come to the end and realized that nothing that this world has to offer can fulfill her. And she meets Jesus at the well. She's getting water, and it's symbolic of satisfaction in her life. And Jesus says to her, go get your husband, and I'll give you this fulfilling water. And she says, I don't have one. And then Jesus says to her, you're correct. You've had five, and the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. That is not a gotcha moment, but that is a moment where Jesus put his finger on, you are trying to find fulfillment in the wrong thing. You're trying to fall. That's how God is. He waits for us to come to a place where we realize, okay, I have been trying to find fulfillment in the wrong things. I've been trying to, 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 to raise my son and set my son in the wrong thing. That's how he is. This is, no, this is the next one. Preparing him room is making room for him in my daily routine. Notice this woman was just in her daily routine. She runs into Jesus and she had to make him room. And I wonder today in our lives is God is saying to us, I need you to make room in your routine for me. You're too busy. You're crowding me out. And I need you to very intentionally make room in your routine. The third person is Nicodemus. Everybody say Nicodemus. In John 3, and you could read it later, there is an, I'll call him an ultra, ubra, religious guy by the name of Nicodemus. If you study Nicodemus' life, what you find out is history tells us that he was an elite member of the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin were the ones that were, the, they were basically the judicial force that condemned Jesus to die. Nicodemus, early in Jesus' ministry, when he hears about Jesus, he, he comes to Jesus, he hears the reports, and he comes to Jesus at night, and he said this, we know that you are a teacher that is sent from God. That's what he said. We know that, you're, that you have been sent from God. And if you look at Nicodemus, what you find out is he, heard, he got all of the backstory of all of the miracles of Jesus. If you look, he was there for all of the discussions about Jesus. But he would only go so far. He would never go out on a limb for Jesus. He would never go out and actually put him in a spot where there was a chance that he could come compromise his position and compromise who he was. He knew, but he lacked the courage to follow and he wouldn't commit. And after Jesus was crucified, what I love is Nicodemus came 
out of the crowd and went and got the body of Jesus. And this is the next thing, is preparing him room is realizing it's never too late in my life. Realize that right now you might be here and you might you might have done the same thing over and over and over. Our good news is this, is Jesus is a proclamation that it is never too late. You are never too far gone. You haven't outsinned the grace of God. You haven't outscrewed up the long suffering of God. You haven't buried yourself so deep that God can't resurrect you. You can't, you cannot get yourself so far gone that his grace and his mercy are not still reaching towards you where you're at and you have to stop and say, I'm going to quit condemning myself. I'm going to quit criticizing myself. I'm going to quit judging myself and I'm going to get up and realize that today is the day, not tomorrow, not next week. And it doesn't matter if I've done it 50 times, I'm getting back up. I said, I'm getting back up. And the last one, I know they're up here. Okay. The last one is Simeon. Everybody say Simeon. Simeon's a senior citizen. How many seniors we got here today? Okay. Simeon is a senior citizen. And look at what it says in Luke 2, verse 25 through verse 32. At that time, this is when this is Jesus has been born. His parents are bringing him to the, to the temple to be dedicated. And Simeon is hanging around the temple. Jesus is an infant. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple so that when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. I love this story because we're never too old that believe in God's fresh and new and moving in our life. What Simeon's life says is preparing his, him room is learning to live by trust. God, I'm going to trust you. Some of us right now, maybe you've fallen off the wagon because life hasn't gone the way you think it should go. I believe God is saying to you, preparing him room is saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know why the world is the way it is. But Lord, what I know is that you are good and I'm going to trust you. What is the opposition of trust? Fear, paranoia. We live today in a world that fear and paranoia are rampant, and God is saying, I need you to trust me. You know, maybe you're here and you've given up on a promise for your life, and God right now is saying, preparing him room is recentering and saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you. 
Could you imagine being Simeon? We don't know how long he had this promise. But we do know he said that God spoke to him and said, you're going to see the Savior before he dies. I mean, it could have been a decade. It could have been 20 years. Could have been 30 years. Could have been 40 years. Could have been 50 years. We don't know how long it was. But what we know is that trust sustained him through his life. And I wonder today how many of us, God is stirring you back to a place and saying, I want you to prepare me room by learning to trust me when you don't get it. You know, the big picture is it all comes back to my heart. Where am I at right now this Christmas in my heart? What's going on on the inside of me right now? Am I at a place where I'm saying, what, five, six days before Christmas, that on the inside, I'm at a place where I'm saying, Lord, I have more room for you in my life. I have more room for what you're doing. You know, when you look at Peter, Peter was on track, then got off track, then got back on track. Maybe that's you today. You've been on track, you've gotten off track, and now the Lord is saying it's time to get back on track. You know, when you think about it, as I want to go back to the very first verses that we started with in Matthew 1, what the angel told Joseph, God sent Jesus to prevent us from missing the true end and scope of life, which is a relationship with God. Where are you at right now in your relationship with him? It's your, it's, not anybody looking on the outside in, but I want us to just stand to our feet, if you would. Where are you at right now? What's going on in your life? I believe that God today, this Christmas, Sunday before Christmas morning, is he's reaching out to us and he's saying, will you prepare me room right now? Will you prepare me room? And you're here and you're not where you should be with the Lord, and you know it. It's not anybody, as I said, it's my heart being sensitive to him. I want us to just close our eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes. Lord, as we come to six days before Christmas, Lord, what we realize is you came, you were born of a virgin in a manger. You lived your life and you taught. You willingly allowed yourself to be crucified, to pay for our sins. And you came so that we would not miss the true end and scope of life, which is a relationship with you. You're here today and you're not where you should be with the Lord and you know it. I wanna pray with you right now. We're all gonna pray together but I believe that the Holy Spirit right now is drawing you. But what's amazing is just like all four of these individuals that we talked about is that I'm the only one individually that can respond to the Lord drawing me. And I believe he's wanting you to respond. Every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, that's me. And today I choose Jesus. I want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you, though, 
What I want you to do is on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. By lifting your hand, you're saying, Lord, I come out of the comfort level and I go all in with you. One, two, three. Lift your hand to the Lord. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. One more time, you say, that's me. And I know that right now God's got my number. I can sense he's drawing me. And I want to respond to him. Just like Nicodemus. Just like the woman at the well. Just like the rich ruler. Just like Simeon. I want to respond to him. That's you. You didn't lift your hand. One more opportunity. Lift it up. Thank you. Yes. I want to lead us all in this prayer. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son. That you came. You died. You rose again to bring restoration, forgiveness to my life. And I invite you to come in and to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I repent for going my way. And today, I choose your way. In Jesus' name, amen.